Uh, can you guys make some noise for Jude? We don't normally make noise, but can you guys make some noise for Jude personally? My guy. There you go, sir. Uh, today our reading is from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Uh, blessed is the one who does not walk and uh, step with, with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water on which he yields its fruit in seasons and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. Not so be the wicked. They are like chaff. They blow that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over over the way of the righteous, but, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, buddy. Well done, Jude Persley. What a delight. Can we just pray right now? Give God thanks that he's here and we're here. Holy Spirit, come. Make much of Jesus in the church. May we see Jesus continually in one another and now in your word. Have your way with your church. We sit at your feet now. Speak, Lord, your servants here. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So if you're new or visiting, welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan, and my wife Sandy and I have the privilege of leading this church. Uh, we are, here we are, in the second half of this series, God Breathes. We are relearning how to read and trust the Bible. So for the last six weeks, we've really been building a foundation. How to think about the Bible. What is it? And where did it come from? And how to read it on its own terms. And we've discovered that the Bible's really a library of Scripture. It's a library of documents. Uh, and, and it's all one unified story that leads us to this person. Jesus. And this person, Jesus himself, trusted the Bible. He had the Old Testament as his Bible, which we now have as the first part of our Bible, right? And he trusted it. And he trusted it as this word from God that pointed to himself. And so Jesus' followers trust the Bible the same way that Jesus did. We read it to follow Jesus and, to, and experience his presence. So what we've done, to use a construction metaphor, something I am completely ignorant about, uh, I am not handy. I'm not a handyman. But, uh, but, but to, stand, to stand with you, if you are, uh, we've, we've been focusing on pouring the concrete, like laying the foundation, putting the electrical and the plumbing down on the bottom. And, and then we've done some framing. That's the first six weeks of this year. We've, there's some framing, and you know, you don't want to be in a house that has just concrete and just two by fours everywhere. Um, but, but now we're at the point where the house is coming together. The drywall's up. You're starting to see the living spaces. And, and you're starting to see how it's all come. You can start picturing, if you're not a construction person, you're like me, you're like the rest of us, you can step into this house and go, now I get what life could look like here. That's what we're doing now for the last couple weeks of this series. The scriptures, living in the scriptures as God's family and God's house. That's what we're going to talk about. And, and so here's what this is going to look like in these final weeks. We don't read the Bible just for information or even for motivation for better life. Although those are great, ultimately the goal of Bible reading, here it is, it's union and loving communion with the triune God. That's the goal of reading the Bible, you guys. The practice of slow, daily, meditative scripture reading, both as individuals and in community dialogue, has always been central to how followers of Jesus are transformed into Jesus' likeness. So that's what we're here for. It's not just for information. It's for transformation. And so now that we've done the hard, redundant work of learning, seemingly redundant, it's felt we've said a lot of the same things from different angles, how we can read the Bible. Now we're pivoting. Get, hear this. We're pivoting from how we read the Bible to how the Bible reads us. 
This is the goal of reading the Bible, to let it read you. And, and so I know I'm doing it right. I'm reading the Bible right when I'm sitting with the scriptures and I'm not just knowing the context and the date of writing and, and you know, all of that, but I'm actually letting the scriptures read my mail and I'm open to whatever it wants to say to me or change or correct or remind me of. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm reading the text and I know I'm doing it right when I'm like, okay, God, I trust you. My life is full of difficulty and, and, and uncertainty, and yet right now I come to the source of your words of life, and I trust you here, and I trust what you're going to do, even if it surprises me. I'm open. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. So that's, that's the goal, that posture. This is what we mean by letting the Bible read us. And we open with Jude reading from Psalm 1, and Psalm 1 is this amazing moment in the scriptures where the psalmist shows you what this looks like to let the Bible read you. It's like a part of the Bible where the writer of the Bible is letting the Bible read him. It's a very cool text. And, and then he describes the benefit, the benefit that comes from reading the Bible this way. And so in the second half of this teaching, we're gonna walk through Psalm 1 together and then finish by doing a meditation of our own. So we're gonna practice this in the room, live and in the room. We're gonna be with Jesus through reading scripture. Sound good? Okay, so first, for this first part of the teaching, we need a guide. So we need a guide. How do I make the move from me reading Bible to Bible reading me? For some of us, this might feel new. Others might be out of practice a bit. So this is a good reminder. And the rest of the room that's just crushing this, you're like, I'm loving encountering Jesus in the scriptures. Well done. This reminder will only encourage you. So for the first half of this teaching, we need a guide. Uh, Jesus uses a metaphor of sheep to describe us, <laughs> are his hungry followers. We're like these sheep that need a shepherd. That's us. And so we need to be shepherded in our Bible reading so that we learn how to let the Bible read us and bring us into the presence of Jesus. And I can think of no better guide for this than the shepherd letters of Paul. So we know them as the pastoral epistles. Pastor just means shepherd. It's the exact same word in Greek. Uh, I remember talking to a, a Portuguese pastor who, who has a church plant in, in, in Portugal, and he, uh, he goes around his city, and people are like, what do you do? Because you talk about your job. And he's like, oh, I'm, he loves doing this. He's like, I'm a pastor. And people are like, in Portugal, like, what do you mean? I didn't know there were sheep in this city. They like, literally don't have another word. For a pastor, it's shepherd in Portuguese. They don't have a framework for a spiritual pastor. They just have an actual shepherd with real sheep. It's like, that's cool that you're a shepherd. I've never met one. It's like their reaction to this guy. So it, it's a fun conversation he always gets to have. And so we come to these pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, to be shepherded. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at two brief texts from Paul. We're going to come to them hungry like sheep and let him shepherd us and give us clear guidance on how to eat this book. And, and not just for information again, but for transformation, for loving union with the God who's present to our minds. So here we go. Let's let Paul shepherd us. Let's let him take us there. Starting with 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17. Here it is. Take us in, Paul. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. He's talking about the message in the scriptures. Continue. You're convinced. Why? Because you know those from whom you learned it. Here's the first thing I want to point out about this Bible reading process. Um, when we come to the scriptures, we're coming to our family book. We're coming to our family book. It's our family tradition. We're in, we're in God's house. And, and so according to verse 14, we can trust the family book. Why? Because you know those from whom you learned it. There's this relationship happening between us and the rest of the church for all time by the power of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, get this, the Holy Spirit who caused the scriptures to be written through human authors is the same Holy Spirit who walked alongside the church through history as the church read and interpreted these texts. And he's also, this Holy Spirit is also right here with you. Same person is with you as you come to read these texts he inspired long ago. And so obvious question, 
If you're, think, if you're like an analytical person, which I tend to be, you're like, wait a minute. Did it, are you saying, Evan, every individual in church history always read the Bible right with the Holy Spirit? No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Now, every individual did not always read the Bible right. And this is where Christianity is so mind-blowing and why the Holy Spirit is so amazing and real and working through history. Get this. Despite all the different readings and interpretations of the Bible over the last 2,000 years, Despite, across every continent, in every known culture where Christianity has existed, from Jesus' resurrection in the first century all the way to 2023 today, despite all the different opinions and secondary issues in history, the Holy Spirit has managed to preserve the basic core of Christianity through all time, through all places. Stunning reality of the person of the Spirit at work. Stunning what we're part of. And, and here's the core. Here's the core. You ready? There's one almighty God, creator. This God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The fullness of this God became fully human in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of a Virgin Mary, born of Virgin Mary's womb into the world, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, descended into hell, rose again the third day, was exalted to God the Father's right hand where he reigns forever right now. And then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to give birth to the church, this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus in the world. And now this family carries the kingdom of God wherever we go and make disciples in every nation through baptism. And once they're baptized, we all teach one another in this family every teaching that came from Jesus as authoritative, which is this library of scripture. See where, see where it comes? It's this library of scripture rightly interpreted by the power of the Spirit in the whole family. And we do all of this as we await the physical return of Jesus Christ at his second coming in glorious power, at which time everyone gets raised from the dead, and then Jesus judges everyone dead and alive, and everyone who trusts this Jesus will be raised into eternal life, and everyone who stays in unrepentant opposition to Jesus will remain separated from God forever. So my friends, this is our family story. We're the family of God. This story makes us who we are as family of God. Literally, this story creates the family, which means you can trust the family book. You can receive the family book and everything it teaches because God's family can be trusted. In Paul's words, because you know from whom you have learned it. And maybe right now you're like, wait, Evan, I don't know if God's family's always trustworthy because I've heard some pretty bad teachings from some people who say they're part of God's family. I bet you have. <laughs> I have too, 100%. And, and so when I say God's family is trustworthy, I'm talking about the accumulated wisdom of the entirety of the global church across all of time by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In a word, orthodoxy. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about when we say God's family is trustworthy. We're talking about orthodoxy. The core of Christianity, if you were to remove it, it would no longer be recognizable as Christian by the whole family. Here's how Paul says this in his other shepherding letter, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. So just, just remember, here's a, here's a little fun rule of note. 2 Timothy 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16. 3.16 is like a real cool Christian number. For some reason, you got John, you got First and Second Timothy. So, so it's the same with First and Second Timothy. Look at this one. Here's the one in First Timothy. Paul's talking about this family book. He says, "Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions." He's writing the scriptures so that why, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. That's why the Bible's here. Wait, wait, what is God's household? Look at this. God's household is what? It is the church of the living God, and he describes us as the pillar and foundation of the truth. Do you see that? That's a huge claim. According to Paul, according to Paul, what is the pillar and foundation of the truth? The church, this family. The family, being family, making the tradition of the family, reading the Bible as family, pillar and foundation of the church. That's what Paul thinks about the family of God. We, 
God's global historic family guided by the spirit around the scriptures, we are the pillar and foundation of the truth. And what is the truth? It's that beautiful little poem stanza here that he, he says, it's Jesus. The truth is Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among nations, believed in the world, and taken up in glory. Guys, there it is, orthodoxy. The core of the scriptures, rightly interpreted by the whole church through all time. You guys, this is our family tradition. It's literally what creates this family. When you're baptized next week, Baptism Sunday, you are stepping into a family tradition. You know, you don't just belong in a family. You do, because you belong to the family tradition. You belong to the presence of Jesus. And so uh, this is why Paul says in, back in 2 Timothy 3, this is why he's saying you can continue in reading the scriptures. You can be convinced of the scriptures. Because why? Because you know from whom you've learned it. You know the family. You guys, brothers, I'm gonna call you brothers and sisters, very appropriate. Uh, it's the, the, the metaphor most used for the church in the New Testament is siblings. So brothers and sisters, the more we get to know our family, and, and we know our diversity, not just ethnic diversity, but how the church has been the church everywhere. So much diversity, so much history. And as we know that, it, the easier it becomes to recognize what is and is not family tradition. You hear that? The more we get to know the family and all its history and diversity, the easier it is to know what is and isn't family tradition. It's really important. When we hear a teaching, for example, when we hear a teaching that doesn't fit basic Christianity, we can simply say, huh, that's interesting, but it's not Christianity because we know our family and we know what makes us family. And the flip side is true too. When we hear a teaching that might feel new, it might feel different to us, but it absolutely fits with basic Christianity, we can say, oh wow, that's a really fresh way of communicating the gospel. I've never heard that before. And it totally fits, dig it. Like we can say, yeah, never heard it that way before. And I'm not scared of it because it absolutely fits. I'm not scared of anything because I know the family. I actually know who my family is. And we know what makes us family. So according to Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 14, this family book can be trusted. And then the next question is trusted for what? What do we trust it for? And that's in verse 15 here. He says, uh, how, from infancy, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we trust the Bible for. It's perfectly able to make you mature, like Jesus. That's what we trust the Bible for. We can trust the scriptures to mature us. How does this work? I love how N.T. Wright describes this process. Look at this, he's like, the spirit speaking through the scriptures can make us wise, can help us think in new patterns, see things we hadn't seen before, understand ourselves and other people and God and the world. Scripture not only unveils the living God we know in Jesus Christ, but through our reading and pondering, it works this knowledge of God deep into our consciousness and even subconscious by story, poetry, symbol, history, theology, and exhortation. Scripture not only gives us true information about how our lives can be transformed, it will itself be part of the process. You guys, that's how the Bible's designed. As you partner with the Holy Spirit to read the Bible or let the Bible read you, the Bible itself, it doesn't just tell you stuff to do to become mature, the Bible itself is the center and it becomes a living part of your maturity process. And, and now let's look at this last part of 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. So it, it matures us. And then look at verse 16. Here's, here's how it matures you. Here's how. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it doesn't say 
Useful for knowing a ton of facts about ancient cultures and for blowing people's minds with Bible info. It's not what it's useful for. That's not what the God-breathed scriptures are useful for. Uh, They're for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In fact, if we use the Bible primarily for knowing a ton of facts about ancient cultures and blowing people's minds with Bible info, if that's what we use the Bible for primarily, I I believe with all of my heart, we'll become a culture of cold-hearted Bible nerds who also create an and a dark side culture of Bible shame for people who don't know how to read it like us. We have to avoid this, and the way we do is by letting the Bible read you. All the information, all the context, all the study, all of that is to turn the corner into love and to become a person of love. And so for that, we need to be taught and rebuked. Do you come to the Bible going, I don't want it in my flesh, but I need it in my soul. Rebuke me, Lord Jesus. Come. Correct me. Where, where have I been using the Bible to justify my desires instead of submitting them at the feet of Jesus through the scriptures? Train me. Be here with me and don't be made in my own image, Jesus. I want to be made into yours. It's all really easy stuff, right? Super easy. Feels really great. Feels awesome. Um, Of course not, because it's not just about info in your brain. I wish it kind of was. I love I love brain info, Uh, but it's not. It's about the formation. It's not info for your brain. It's formation for your character, which hurts, and is beautiful. You guys, this just got really personal right now. This is getting personal. The way I think about this is the difference between talking about a person versus talking with the person. So, uh, obvious question, if you want a healthy relationship with someone, do you talk about them to your therapist and then you're done? Or do do you end up talking with them? Like if you want a healthy relationship, do you talk about them or do you talk with them? Obvious answer, go with. What if I had a relationship, like what if I had an issue in my relationship with Sandy? that needed to be resolved, and I just talked to my community about her and felt really great by myself. (laughs) I've tried that. It works horribly. It does not work when you go and get a tool from people because you're asking, how should I deal with this thing with this person, this loved one? And then they give you a tool, and you're like, I suddenly feel really great about my own self Uh, and, and because of what I have in my own brain. It would not help my relationship. It is in real life, IRL. It would not help my in real life. My in real life Sandy time would not be improved uh, by just talking about her. I have to talk with her. So uh, I know it's a silly example, but it's profound because it's the, it's the first problem in the Bible. It's, it hits very close to home. God is a person who wants a love relationship with people. So case in point, when you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, What's the brilliance of the serpent's temptation? The genius of Satan is how he got Adam and Eve to talk about God instead of with God under the tree. That's the genius of Satan. He got them to just do theology. Satan's like, hey, let's talk about what God said. Let's talk about it. Did God really say not to eat? Let's kick it around. Let's debate it on YouTube for a second. Hop into the comment section. I don't think God meant, I don't think God meant what you think he meant. Let's just keep talking. What about the food? Is it really going to make you die? Let's, let's talk about God for a bit. And they stayed there. They stayed in the realm of intellectual debate about God. What do you think would have happened if they, if serpents like, did God really say? And Eve goes, hey, God. Hey, God, remind me what you said. What do you think would have happened? How would the story be different? Instead, it was, what do you think? Let's discuss. What do you think about this questionable text? What's one part of the Bible that, this is why on the podcast interviewing with theologians for this God Breathe series, I've interviewed several. I always ask this question in two parts. What's one part of the Bible that keeps you up at night as a Bible scholar? But more importantly, what do you do about that? Not just stay on the first half. Oh man, I really have a problem with, you know, 
divine, divinely sanctioned genocide. God commands genocide in the Old Testament. Or I really have a problem with slavery, how it doesn't seem to ever resolve in the New Testament. It just kind of, Paul kind of gets around to abolition, but never fully says, stop, slave. I, I want the Bible to do something. And you kind of just stay in this theologizing mode. But the second half is so, it makes the whole thing worthwhile. It, it, it's it's what, do you, what do you do about it? How do you actually bring that into your faith? How do you bring, do you, where do you bring God into it? What do you do faithfully? What's a faithful thing to do with your theology, your discussions? So again, it's really important. I, I think theology is important. Like, you know, we can get stuck, you know, have you read that new book? Have you heard this podcast or whatever? Which are all great things, don't get me wrong, I'm into it. But when we end up talking about God, Way more than we talk with God, we're not talking about a relationship anymore. We're just doing theology now. Because talking about God is easy. I don't need character for that. I just need an opinion. No character required. When I'm talking with God, I'm actively engaged in the beautiful, difficult process of maturing into the likeness of Jesus. So, um, there's the question, am I willing, are you willing to let the scriptures read you? The scriptures and the Holy Spirit read you because there's a God who inspired the text and then helped the church hold fast to the truth all through history and now sits with you in the room and is in your soul as a follower of Jesus. He's with you and he wants the best for you and he wants Christ's image to come out of you to love on those around you, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He wants this for you. Are you willing to say, Lord, teach me, correct me, and I know your response, God, will surprise me, and I, I trust that too. Are you open? Am I open to God in the Scriptures? So can we come to the Bible this way? This is, this is what biblical literacy is for. This whole series is really a biblical literacy series, and if we don't get to this next part, of letting God come to us and let, letting God read our mail and we just stay and like, well, look how biblically literate we are. Look how many genres we know about in the Bible. Then, then we will create a culture of Bible shame for those that never quite feel like they know the Bible as well as you do. And that is not hospital, hospitable. So can we come to the Bible like this? Not just to read it, but let it read us. That's the question. So in that spirit, we're gonna circle back to Psalm 1 and we're gonna walk through it. And we're going to do a meditation together from bread. That's how we're going to end this. We're actually going to do a bread reading and breathe in the presence of God and his people. And so as we do this, remember this. Here it is. The Bible on the screen. The Bible is meditation literature. It's designed to be read and reread over a lifetime as the Holy Spirit who inspired the text through human authors. It's the same spirit with us in the room as we read what those authors wrote. And as we become present to the Holy Spirit in our reading, he continues to mature us into the image of Jesus. So Psalm 1, first word, blessed. Let's stop there, All right? So promise we won't stop on every word. But slow reading is good. We're not going to go that slow. So, but this is the first word of the psalm, blessed or blessed. Can everyone say that word all at once? One, two, three. Okay, you picked, you picked blessed. How many blessed people are there? You said blessed. So there are some two-syllable blessed people. That's great. So uh, just split the room. Uh, that was fun. So now, now I draw attention to this word and the differences because there's differences in the text on the word blessed. So this is really important. This word sets the tone for the Psalms. And, and I'm not a huge fan of doing like a bunch of Hebrew stuff on Sunday mornings unless it really makes a difference. And in this case, I really think it does make a difference. So there's two words for blessed in Hebrew in the, in the Old Testament. There's two words that come to us as English blessed. And here's the first word for bless in Hebrew. It's the word baruch. Can you say that and like cough up some stuff? Baruch, yeah. So, and this is this is one word for blessed, Baruch. So it involves. This is like I invoke divine blessing on you. 
You know, this is from the, the Aaron's blessing where, you know, this is how you are to bless or baruch the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord, the Lord baruch you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine and you be gracious to you. The Lord, so, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will baruch them. So that sounds familiar to us. It's the benediction we do often at the end of our gatherings here. Um, and it's, it's the moment at Park Hill where we ask a pastor, someone up here, asks God to do something awesome for you. That's this blessed. I want God to just do something he hasn't done yet for you. I invoke that. And so that, that's, that's like, you know, we say this kind of thing when someone sneezes ever since the Middle Ages or whatever. It's like, God bless you, heal, protect you, that whole thing. That's Baruch. This is not the Hebrew word in Psalm 1 for blessed. This is not the same word. Psalm 1 is not saying, I want God to do something for you. Not saying that. So the word blessed in Psalm 1 is a different, very different Hebrew word that is ashrei. You say that one, ashrei. You don't have to spit to say that one. Um, ashrei, it's acknowledging the good life that's already there. So Baruch is, Lord, give them a... Give them some awesome stuff. But this one is, oh my gosh, they're awesome. There's some awesome stuff already happening in that person. So in 2023, this is goals. You know, if you use today's language, it's like, look at that guy. That guy's goals. This is that guy's ashray. Same thing. I'm really trying here, as you can tell. So, uh, or, or crushing it. If that person is crushing it, that's the biblical ashray. Like, that person's crushing it. So who are the people? Where are the people in 2023 America? Think of just pop culture. Who's ashray right now? Crushing it. Taylor Swift. I actually have her in my notes for this purpose. <laughs> Apparently, Taylor Swift became a billionaire this week. She became a billionaire this week. Taylor Swift, ashray. People keep throwing money at her. Like, I'm not going to ask the Lord to bless her anymore. She's ashray. You know, she, she's not, I don't need to Baruch her. Um, she, and so, and like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, ashray. You know, that guy's crushing it. One of the most famous human, human pictures of a human in all of pop culture. They're killing it at life. Another phrase of killing it at life. Just so you get the idea, this, this is the meaning of the word. Can you read this in Psalm 1 now? Look at this. Next slide. Killing it at life is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Crushing it is the one who doesn't take the way sinners take. They're crushing it right now. Killing it is the one who doesn't partner with mockers and sit in their company. They're crushing it. You know who's really crushing it? The guy and the girl who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Goals. I'm, I'm going all, I'm trying. Some of you love it, some of you are cringing. And so when you look at the kind of person who is killing it, the, the person who's really killing it is, uh, what will you find them doing? Are they making a billion dollars? Are they incredibly beautiful by culture standards? According to the, the wisdom of God revealed in the ancient text, what you're going to find the person who's crushing it doing is delighting in the scriptures. They're not only delighting in their minds, they're actually physically, mentally chewing on the scriptures, muttering it in their mouths daily and nightly. In your NIV Bibles, verse 2 says, this is a person who meditates. And we th when you think of meditation, don't think of just quietly emptying your mind, uh, sitting staring at the sunset, even though that's beautiful. Uh, it's not just randomly thinking about a verse whenever it pops in your head. That's not meditation. Oh, I'm just thinking about a verse. It's not even reading in your mind, reading the text. We're such a cerebral culture. When we read the word meditate, we think of someone, we think of something we do in our invisible mind. I'm just going to meditate on the scriptures and we go and read it in our mind. Uh, but that idea would be foreign to the writers of the Bible. The Hebrew word for meditate is literally the word moan. 
growl, utter, speak while musing. For the most part, these are physical acts, you guys. They're things you do with your body that people can hear. To meditate on scripture was to mutter it in your mouth, to literally chant and moan the words of scripture with your mouth and lungs over and over as it takes hold of your imagination in God's presence. So the psalmist points to this guy, avoiding sin, embracing maturity. The psalmist is like, look at him. He's embracing maturity. He's muttering the words of the text repeatedly in his mouth in the, in, in the day and in the night. And he's like, that guy's killing it right now. That guy is who all of us want to be. This is the Bible giving us a not-so-subtle life hack right now, you guys. The Psalms come right out of the gate saying, do you want the good life? Do you want the good life? Do you want rest for your soul? Do you want all your relationships rightly ordered with God and others and yourself and creation? Be like this ashray person. And if you're listening, maybe you're like, Evan, is this prosperity gospel? Are you saying if I just don't sin, if I meditate on the scriptures and trust God, then I won't be poor and I won't suffer? That's absolutely not what I'm saying. In fact, that's still mixing up culture's definition of crushing it with God's definition. According to this psalm, the person who's really crushing it at life is the person who in Paul's language has experienced both high highs and low lows and can say, I have learned to be content in whatever state I might be in. Can you imagine if you reach that level of maturity? <laughs> I've learned how to be abased and how to abound, and I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of I can do all things. This is why biblical literacy is important. <laughs> because I can do all things through Christ is not just I can be whatever I want to be. Right. I can do all things through Christ is the context. Read the verse before and after. I've learned how to be crushed how to be poor, and I've learned how to have a lot more than I need, have surplus. And I have learned in whatever state I am, contentment. I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. You see how we want to we wanna swap out the Bible's meaning for our own, but we need, the, we need Scripture's meaning. This is what happens when you let the Bible read you. I've learned to be content in whatever state I might be in. This is, this is actual, when you really think about it, think about the source of your anxiety. Tonight you're going to hear from Greg Pikin all about anxiety and how to lean into church practices and, and find mental health uh, through the practices of Jesus. And, I mean, <laughs> think of the source of all our anxiety is simply because we're not believing what Psalm 1 says about true blessed living. We, we actually think there's a different goal that will satisfy. <laughs> and the anxiety flows from that. So this is, this is like the life goal. This, this is it. It's the point of the psalm. In every season, in every season, I am ashray. I am top of God's heap. I'm, I'm apple of his eye. In every trial, I'm blessed by God. Because whatever state I'm in, I'm avoiding sin. I'm embracing maturity. Because the words of God are my delight day and night. I'm crushing it. In fact, the psalmist points to this seasonal cycle where it's not always good. Sometimes it's winter. Sometimes it's summer. Look at the next verse. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season. And whose leaf doesn't wither. So we have fruit when we're supposed to, and guess what? In the winter, you don't die. You're rooted. All you really want is to be rooted in the triune God. You guys, loving union. This is why we read, for loving union, rooted in the life of God. This is what we get when we let the Bible read us. When we let Jesus read us. And then he contrasts with the wicked. He's like, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. I think there's a lot of anxiety there. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so the ending of this teaching is open to what God wants to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to invite, uh, <clears throat> I invite Blake yeah, to come up and just lay down some pads or something. And we're going to read and let the Bible read us. And, and so I want to I invite you uh, to slow down for loving union with the living God and be like a tree planted in the family tradition, planted by the rivers of water, planted in the presence of God. And if you still have questions on how to read the Bible, you're like, I still have questions about the Bible. Great. That's okay. The God who inspired the text and who helps the church read the text is also in the room. And in his season, he will reveal everything you need to know for maturity in Christ. So the question is, are you actually open to letting the Bible change you? Are you open to letting the Bible rebuke you when you sit down to read? Or do you have a wall maybe around your heart and all, all, most of us have something like that? We've done that in defense from being wounded in many ways. And you can bring your wall too. And you can just say, speak Lord, your servant hears. Are you open to encountering God and uniting with him in intimacy we're not going to skip over the parts we don't like. Do you want to encounter Christ as your authority, as your good king? Not bend the Bible to my desires, but submit my desires to Jesus. So um, here we go. If we could, if you've been reading bread, you know how this works. Um, and if you haven't, that's okay. You get an introduction now, and you can read bread for the rest of the year with us, and I'm sure we'll do something like it again next year. But Psalm 118 was our reading yesterday. If you already read it, great. You actually get to do it right and read it twice. <laughs> that's the Lectio Divina practice. Bread reading is, is, a, is usually twice if you have time. Um, so we're going to come to the table in a bit, but first, take a breath. The first letter of bread is B. It's for breathing and being still in his presence. You guys are doing, you guys are, gonna, you're, you're about to crush it right now. <laughs> you're about to be a tree planted in his presence. So just breathe, maybe 30 seconds. Just become aware of the presence of God and his goodness. Maybe bring to mind something you're thankful for and just breathe out. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe open your palms in a posture of receiving and just, and just take a deep breath in for four seconds and then breathe out for like six or seven seconds, a long exhale while saying, thank you, Jesus. One more breath. And now we move to R, B-R-E-A-D. This is read. I'm going to read Psalm 118. If there's a word or a verse that jumps out to you, just grab a hold of it in your mind or, or jot it down in your, your notes app or with a pencil or something. Just jot it down. We're going to come back to that word after we read, whatever that is. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, 
His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surround me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Hopefully you have a word or a verse that you're meditating on. Maybe you're even growling or moaning or chanting it under your breath. That's good. I move to E, encounter. So taking that word or verse, what does it make you feel? What does it make you think about who God is? Maybe about who you are. Take 20, 30 seconds. Maybe write down one sentence that's an answer to those questions. What do you feel from that verse? What might God be revealing about himself or you through that verse?
And we move to A in bread, which is apply. So now you shift your focus from within yourself to without. Where might God want you to live out this truth that he might be revealing to you? What relationships might he want you to bring this truth into? Maybe it's someone you'll see today or someone you'll see this week, workplace, home, school. Uh, yeah, what might God want you to actively participate in out of that truth? And feel free to write that down. Or since we're in community now, if it's something you can share with someone near you, go ahead and, go ahead and say, hey, God might be wanting me to do blank. Feel free to do that during the next 30 seconds. It could be just quiet, leave to yourself or with your neighbor since we're in community. Uh, feel free to do that for 30 seconds. Then we'll finish with D. And finally, uh, the D in bread stands for devote. And so the way we're going to practice it now is different than you would if you were alone. We're going to sing. We're going to sing our devotion to God. We're going to worship him by coming to the table and express our devotion through gratitude. It's literally what Eucharist means. Bread in the cup. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. And so we're going to express our devotion to God as a church in the presence of his people. Um, if you're alone, you would write down a prayer. You'd write your own worship song if you were alone. Uh, hopefully you do this. This is what we do. We read the scriptures in this way to let it read us. And so as we move into worship, I, I wanna encourage you to, if something from this teaching unearthed a need for prayer or you wanna process with someone through prayer, please come forward. Uh, we're, we're ready for you on the right and on the left up front. We would love to pray for you. Maybe maybe for you it's it's it's, Right now, God's definition of what's blessed is contradicting my own definition. <laughs> I want your vision, God, for my life situations. Maybe it's that. I'm sure we could all do that. Uh, whatever it is, come forward for prayer now. Let's all stand and let's sing. Let's devote ourselves to God in song. And so we're going to pray for about five minutes together, feel free. And then at the end of these five minutes, we're going to open the tables and finish with communion. So come forward and receive prayer, whatever God might be doing.